You are listening to Pokemon Rose, a nostalgic look back on the Pokemon Hello. franchise. Hello. Hello, I haven't got much time. I pray this record of our experiment survives. A year ago, we discovered a fossil that proved to be the remains of the ancient Pokemon, Mew. There was sufficient genetic material to replicate Mew. But Giovanni, who funded our project, insisted we try to design super clones more powerful than any living Pokemon. Many attempts failed, but finally, our experiments proved successful. We produced a living Pokemon. We called it Mewtwo. But for some reason, the creature's anger is out of control. With its psychic powers, it's destroying our laboratory. We dreamed of creating the world's strongest Pokemon. And we succeeded. <laughs> Hello, 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 hello. Oh, there you are. We got uh, interrupted there. That was strange. But, well, no matter. Today's a really exciting episode because we're going to be talking about Mewtwo. That's right. The strangely named, until you figure out why, uh, super powerful legendary Pokemon that existed in blue and red. And of course, the subsequent games. It's kind of a fan favorite. Looks a little like Frieza from Dragon Ball, but we're not going to hold that against him. In fact, I think it's kind of a point in his favor, to be honest. But Mewtwo is not just a really cool Pokemon. Not just a really powerful one that really was the first uh, sweeper Pokemon back in the day. Well, I guess Alakazam gave him a run for his money, but that's for another episode. No, Mewtwo represents something even cooler about the Pokemon franchise, and that's the idea of the post-game. Because Pokemon, as I've already described, has done a lot of things really well, even back in the blue and red days. They introduced challenge, they introduced rivalry, they introduced dreams, but they also introduced that once you beat the game, you haven't actually beaten the game. What a cool idea, right? I mean, we always kind of think that after stories conclude... They go on afterwards. Things change, people grow, and maybe even some loose ends get tied up. Well, what I want to do today is I want to break down the story of Mewtwo that isn't explicitly told to us in Pokemon Red and Blue and explain how that kind of set the precedent for the implicit between-the-lines storytelling that Pokemon would eventually become famous for, even to this day. Now, if you've ever read my work, you may know that I don't necessarily enjoy too much implicitness. I like when things are readily available to you. I'm not talking about a J.J. Abrams mystery box when I'm talking about Mewtwo. Everything is there in the story to put together. It's just not spelled out for you in a way that's kind of neatly wrapped up in a bow. But first, let's kind of talk about how we get to Mewtwo. So, in our last episode, I talked to you about Blue, and his becoming the champion, your subsequent defeating of him, and then, really, the end of the game. Only, it's not the end of the game. Because after you defeat Blue, you get access to a place called the Cerulean Cave. The Cerulean Cave is a cave in Cerulean City, of all places, that prior to you defeating the Elite Four was 
inaccessible to you. First, it's inaccessible by way of you need the ability surf to actually surf over, swim over, and get to it. And second, when you reach it, there's a guard in front of the cave entrance who says, you're not strong enough to go in here. There's something really dangerous inside. So it's definitely foreshadowed that that's something you can do, but it's not exactly clear what you need to do to get there until, of course, you beat the Elite Four and you recognize, hey, I'm the strongest Pokemon trainer in the world. I think I can handle a little cave here, pal. Well, you hope you can anyway. Because when you go inside, after a labyrinthine maze of the most difficult, strongest Pokemon in the entire game, you get to Mewtwo. This weird, just... I, I don't even know how to describe him. He's like a, a cat that was in a test tube <laughs> and... Awful, awful things happen to him. He's the most powerful Pokemon in the game. Uh, add on top of that, he's the strongest psychic Pokemon in the game, which, back in the red and blue days, meant you were the strongest Pokemon kind of by default. And if you're like me, you went in there not realizing that your Pokemon box was full. So after a hard-won fight with Mewtwo... I caught him, but I couldn't do anything with him because my box was full. Uh, I don't know that I've ever recovered from that heartbreak because that Mewtwo fight is difficult, and this was before I knew that I should have saved before fighting him. So, that's right. My first game, I caught Mewtwo, but I didn't have him. So eventually I would restart and get Mewtwo, but that was a hard choice because I had a lot of good Pokemon on that game. But anyway... My personal uh, follies aside, I remember that fight because it made me think about who Mewtwo was. Now, I was in the lucky position that although I had started with the anime and the show and the characters like Ash and Brock and Misty, I hadn't yet seen Pokemon the first movie. And that is where Mewtwo was kind of explained. It was explained what his backstory was in no uncertain terms. So I hadn't seen that movie yet because I had actually worked to get to the point where I fought Mewtwo before the Mewtwo movie came out. So when you get to Mewtwo, you don't know anything about him. All I knew was what my friends on the playground had said, what Josh had told me about this secret Pokemon that exists in the cave. It was really exciting to get to it because this was at the point in time when you kind of just had to take your friend's word for things in video games, so it wasn't clear whether Mewtwo was actually real or not. But there he was, the most powerful Pokemon, just hanging out, uh, hanging out in Cerulean Cave, amidst all the Rhydon and Ditto. So, what is Mewtwo's backstory? Well, in short, there's a legendary Pokemon called Mew. Mew is a common ancestor of every single Pokemon. We would later find that out. We didn't know that during Red and Blue. All we knew in Red and Blue is that Mew was very powerful. And the way that you find this out is you go to an abandoned laboratory on Cinnabar Island. You have to go there so that you can fight Blaine, the Pokemon gym leader of Cinnabar Island. But if you explore, you get a lot of context clues as to what was going on on this island. 
So first of all, Cinnabar Island has a fossil laboratory that brings ancient Pokemon back to life. And you go into this uh, Cinnabar Island mansion, this old laboratory, and you find all of these journal entries that say that on several expeditions, these scientists actually found genetic material of the ancient most powerful Pokemon, Mew. And they were determined to bring Mew back to life, just like they would Kabuto or Ammonite or Aerodactyl in the fossil lab. Well, it didn't quite go as planned, because they did create a specimen, but it was much too powerful, and it got out of their hands entirely too quickly. So that's kind of spooky and weird, but it gets deeper, because I've talked about Giovanni and Team Rocket and stealing Pokemon, and stealing agency. Well, if we look back on what Team Rocket was doing throughout the entire game, a story starts to come together. So first, let's talk about Team Rocket and the Sylphscope. Team Rocket wanted to steal the Sylphscope. Now we want the Sylphscope so that we can see ghosts, because we can't go into the Lavender Tower, the kind of graveyard for Pokemon if we can't see the ghost Pokemon that live there. Well, back in the day, ghost Pokemon were strong against psychic Pokemon. They still are. The idea being that if psychic Pokemon get their power from the mind, then ghosts are a natural fear, and so they get scared of them, and that's why they're weak against them. So Team Rocket seems to want an item that makes ghost Pokemon visible to them so that they can catch them. Interesting. Okay, so we have that. We have farming these Pokemon that are strong against psychic types. Then we have Giovanni going after the Master Ball. Okay, the Master Ball is a fabled item in red and blue. It's brand new on the market. There's only one of them. And it can catch any Pokemon without fail. Okay. So we have an attempt to get the Sylph Scope so that they can get Pokemon that are strong against Psychic Pokemon and the Master Ball so that they can catch whatever they want. On one hand, you may be saying, all right, Dan, well, that just sounds like Team Rocket's whole thing. They just want Pokemon. I would put it to you that Giovanni wants Mewtwo. He knows it exists, he's seen it, and he wants it for his own. So he's berating and attacking the scientists of the Pokemon world, who, let's be honest, had created Mewtwo in the first place, especially the people itself. There's this whole idea that anytime you see a Ditto, it's a failed Mew clone, because they both only know one move, and that's Transform. So anytime Sylph tried to make Mewtwo and failed, they got a Ditto. Uh, Ditto were later added to the Cinnabar Island Laboratory, by the way. So Giovanni, this gangster, is after the most powerful Pokemon in the world. And none of this is explained to you, but you can piece it together through everything that goes on. You can even piece together that Mr. Fuji, the nice old man in Lavender Town, who is fighting against Team Rocket and their use of the Sylph Scope to capture ghosts, 
is the man in charge of creating Mewtwo. Reformed for all the horrors that he wrought on the Pokemon world, he's now Mr. Pokemon. He wants to help. He doesn't want to hurt them anymore. Pretty interesting stuff, and none of it is really told to you. It's all just there. If you piece together what Team Rocket is doing in the order that they do it, if you read those notes in the Cinnabar Mansion, and if you happen to find Mewtwo at the end of the Cerulean Cave once you're a Pokemon master. I love this kind of stuff, not just in Pokemon, but in any game where a deeper story is implied, but with enough connective tissue so that it's not clearly a theory. It's more than that. It's an idea. It's a planned idea that shows that the Pokemon world is deeper than you understand it. And if you think about it, if you think about what we've talked about so far, from the perspective of a kid, you wouldn't recognize all this stuff. That's what's so special to me about Pokemon. I've grown up and found these little things that were always there, that a kid was never meant to see or never meant to experience in the way that, say, Giovanni might. Cynicism doesn't exist in the Pokemon world for the kids. It's only for the Giovannis, for the Fujis, for the people who are trying to steal others' dreams. So, next time you play a Pokemon game, buckle up for the post-content, because that's really where the storytelling happens.